What else do we know about gentlemen other than the fact that they gift expensive Western decadent watches to communist uh, officials? That they are men who are gentle? <laughs> that they don't pay taxes? I mean, of course. <laughs> that I, I thought that was just like, you know, a part of like the basic package. Yeah, I mean, it would be so unbecoming and uncouth no, of them. It's, do, it's just mean, very déclassé to pay taxes. Yeah. And then, uh, I hate to be repetitive, but there was another coup. <laughs> I mean, third time's a charm. You get a coup, and you get a coup, and you get a coup. Everybody gets a coup. Also, you know, just to make sure that none of us has a suspicious random accident, I would like to take this moment to say that we very much love the CIA, and please don't kill us and their loved ones. Just, you know. We can neither confirm nor deny our feelings towards the CIA. I, I think they need to be confirmed in a very positive way, so none of us just disappears into, you know, black side. She was like, is this guy a good guy or a bad guy? I felt like making a snarky remark. And I was like, do you know anyone named Nikolai who is a good guy? And she went, Nikolai Kutzel? <laughs> but like, yes, but it also... But, his... but, then, but then I think he's a wife beater. Exactly. So I, I, yeah, no, I'm not even he's, him. <laughs> he's a wife beater and also a mistress beater because he likes to alternate between the <sighs> wife and the many mistresses he has. Totally unrelated is back, 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 back. back. <laughs> uh, but don't get your hopes up too high because I still have January brain. So we'll we'll take it slow. <laughs> how about I mean, you? How dare you tell me how high I can get? <laughs> how low you can get? I know well. that is also another challenge. I think you should talk to my therapist about how low I can get, and my pharmacist for that matter. Well, at least at least you are fresh out from the nail salon, so. You are going to be fabulous for this episode. I mean, I'm always fabulous. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this is a podcast, so only I can enjoy the the nails. But wait, wait, wait! I need to do the clicky thing for Ale. Yes, yes. This is a special shout out for Ale. <laughs> That's the sound of a bunch of spiders knitting also my nails. <laughs> so, uh, do you know what today's episode will most likely be called? I mean, I don't dare. The Balkanazi on Broadway. Mm. Sounds I feel spicy. like I, I feel like that would definitely get a couple of Tony Awards. Although, um, unfortunately, it's not about a Nazi who is into musicals, but just happened to live on Broadway at some point. I mean, even if it was a Nazi who was into musicals, I don't think the whole being into musicals cancels out the Nazi part. No, so, you know. no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, does the name Nikolai Malaksa mean anything to you? Does it ring a bell? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, like I told you before we started, when I saw that the episode that you proposed for me to come on was about Malaxa. I kind of got a little bit excited, not because I'm super familiar with uh, whatever Mr. Balkanazi did. It's just that it's uh, one of these, uh, I don't know, Romanian characters that I have some knowledge about. Uh, what would, Obviously, what I knew was uh, put into this whole frame of the great industrialists and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's how all of us were talked to about him, if yeah. anybody talked to us about them, I think. One yeah. of the fathers of industry and yes, all yes, that jazz. Yes, Instead yes. of, you know, say, telling it like it is, like Robert Baron style. Or... Exactly. <laughs> and and also I remember the years when the uh, descendants came back to Romania with asking their for their yes. stuff back. And then again, the whole conversation was about like, yeah, well, at least these guys deserve to get it back because they work with, uh, worked for it. Not like those 
uh, Hungarian like noble people from Transylvania who just <laughs> own things and now they want them back or, or whatever. <laughs> it's a meritocracy if you're a capitalist. I'm, I'm not. I, no, no. I, I, it's too early to get into the X-rated cursing. I think. <laughs> you know what? I was researching this episode. Actually, uh, my wife. Your wife. My wife uh, saw the name and she was like, "Is this guy a good guy or a bad guy?" I felt like making a snarky remark and I was like, "Do you know?" anyone named Nikolai who is a good guy and she went Nikolai Kutsu <laughs> but like yes but that also but, his... but, then, but then I think he's a wife beater exactly so I, I, yeah no not even he's, him <laughs> he's a wife beater and also a mistress beater because he likes to alternate between the <sighs> wife and the many mistresses he has I mean I think we all there a lot there was a case uh, where he actually started slapping one of his mistresses uh, on live TV on live TV yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so no good Nikolai not as far as I know. No. Maybe Mosh Nikolai, like Saint Nicholas. I possibly. I, no, but that's also creepy with the whole. He knows children. when you're sleeping, and you know, giving gifts, to, gifts to children. Yes, and it's I, mm, highly problematic. I say. I'm problematic. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't trust. I don't trust it. Plus, there's the whole thing about his helpers working for free, and you know, like those elves need to unionize. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't know. No good Nikolai. I agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Going off uh, what you said previously about how uh, these uh, industrialists uh, generally have a quite positive image, uh, at least in terms of our public intellectuals and the way they talk about uh, these people, I would say that, yes, I concur. And I think that probably what happened after 1989 with the whole overly idealizing uh, what happened in Romania before the Second World War or between the two world wars, and the society and everything. Maybe it was a sort of equal and opposite reaction to the way industrialists and capitalists were portrayed, I'm guessing, by the commies. And since the commies did not spark joy, then after 1989, it was like, well, everyone that the communists, you know... Went against. Went against, yeah. The, those are the good guys now, somehow, without without doing, you know, the actual intellectual thing of analyzing and, and passing judgment that way. I think on one hand, yes, definitely that. But I think also on the other hand, there's the whole uh, romanticizing of the uh, period between the two wars. Yes, definitely. With the whole, oh my God, Bucharest was the little Paris yeah. of Eastern Europe. And it's like, nah, man, just because you stole one Arc de Triomphe, that doesn't mean that <laughs> you copied it. You know, that doesn't mean that you're Paris all of a sudden. Or and just also just the focusing on the small sliver of people who were well enough to live the high life and yeah, they they could mingle with the young and the beautiful of the period, but most of the country was still dirt poor. Yeah, there's been this this over-romanticizing of of anybody that made, you know, came from nothing and made a huge fortune Mm -hmm. uh, in the, let's call them more olden days, 1800s and early 1900s. But at the end of the day, they were also part of the same system that kept them and their ancestors down, because if they got from being dirt poor to somewhere where they were like super rich, not because they were so kind to their employees or because they gave mm-hmm. them great benefits or because they didn't violently crush any kind of strikes or whatever. So, so mm. the pinker, pinker tones over. Yeah, yeah, a, a bit of that. So I don't know, like I, I get it. I get that you want to go with something and you want to, you know, praise somebody for achievements. But I mean, you know, is Bezos a good guy? Because he isn't. So I think these guys are the that equivalent 
equivalent of, mm-hmm. of what we're seeing now with our billionaire boys. Yeah, and just like the billionaire boys today, uh, way back in the day, they also did quite a bit of, or, or they invested in reputation laundering when they needed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So. So my annoyance with uh, this rose-tinted view of Romanian uh, elites before World War II has been probably apparent to anyone listening to our episode on the Struisberg railway scandal and uh, also the episode about uh, the whole public uh, back and forth between the feminist Sofia Nadezhde and the literary critic and public misogynist and conservative politician Tito Maiorescu. So I thought, let's do another one. <laughs> I mean, sure, yes. But also just to, you know, you were saying that it's probably apparent to anybody listening to these other episodes. I can definitely safely say they don't need to listen to any other episodes. They just need to hear you open your mouth for like a minute, <laughs> less than a minute, and they will know <laughs> your feelings on, on this topic. So, you know, don't sell yourself short, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, but, you know, just like with Jordan B. Peterson's fans who are like, well, you need to know all his work to know what the true context of his... Uh, statements is that, I mean I guess... whether it's bear shit or bad shit or dog shit it's still shit so <laughs> I don't need to know what kind of different flavors of shit he is he is just shit yeah <laughs> cue, cue the Jordan Peterson uh, you know uh, lover boys who are gonna show up in the comments probably to be like oh you just don't know understand them and no, you know the, channel, the, the channel is not big enough yet so. oh, okay. <laughs> sooner or later sooner we, or later we, we do get the odd incel who just tosses a word salad into the comments but not there yet. <laughs> the universe needs to throw you a taster of what's to come, I think. <laughs> so let's introduce our protagonist. I'll read you an extract from the Economic Warfare Section, War Division, U.S. Department of Justice, dated 21st of March 1911, because, by the way, a lot of the documentation for this episode uh, comes from American sources, as the CIA had a pretty hefty file on our man. Also, you know, just to make sure that none of us has a suspicious, suspicious random accident, I would like to take this moment to say that we very much love the CIA, and please don't <laughs> kill us and their loved ones. Just, you know. We can neither confirm no nor deny our feelings towards the CIA. I, I think they need to be confirmed in a very positive way so none of us just disappears <laughs> into, you know, a black side. Okay, so the quote, Nikolai Malaksa, pro-German friend of Hermann Göring and high-pressure financial operator, which I love, high-pressure financial operator, was the individual toward whom Romanian business and industry looked if political dealings were needed. He had long established close relations with the ministers handling government purchases. He generally had advanced information of prospective appointments and would openly support the candidate in question. The appointee, aware of his obligation, always cooperated with Malaksa in matters involving contracts for the firms in which Malaksa was interested. Honestly, I just got caught up on the whole Goering thing. I think that's a pretty (laughs) big barrier when you hear Goering, you know, it's like, hmm... Interesting take, interesting. Weren't we supposed to be against Goering? Uh, whatever. I mean, what I take away from this extract, obviously, is that uh, we have here the makings of a real job creator, don't you think so? I mean, yes. And also, I agree with what you said about the <laughs> high-pressure financial operator. That's from somebody, you know, who's a marketing writer. I know, I know, mea culpa, but I like that from that perspective. <laughs> but I feel like the translation for that is basically a shark loan. A lot shark loan? Jesus, a loan shark. <laughs> 
<laughs> a shark clone. <laughs> a, sh- a lone shark who just managed to clean up his image a bit. Mm. I mean, as we said, uh, reputation laundering. Uh, so a bit of context for this period. Before World War One, Romania had been a largely agrarian economy with a population of roughly 7 million. After 1980, it wasn't just the economy that changed, shifting towards industrial production, but also the demographics, because Transylvania and other territories that were now part of Romania basically more than doubled its population. And uh, political winds were also a-changing. The country had been pretty heavily reliant on foreign investment in specific industries, uh, mostly extractive ones. Uh, But the liberal government uh, went all in on economic nationalism, (laughs) very 1930s, which they dubbed Prinoyenshine, which would be translated as through our own powers, but I like to call it the I got this babe doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So much so that the Americans sort of had to pull them to one side, like, hey guys, you might want to ease up on this, okay? You know, because we don't like people who nationalize stuff and uh, just just chill. But also, on the other hand, it's pretty rich for the US to be able to chill up on this, considering that, I mean they kind of did go hard into a period of uh, international uh, isolation. But that's okay for them, honey. I forgot. I forgot. (laughs) Oh my God, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, and uh, on top of all this, between the two world wars, the country also had like a royal dictatorship. (laughs) It was that kind of time. (laughs) I mean, as long as the king had fun, I guess, is... (laughs) Like he, he had boatloads of fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> boatloads, I would say more like buttloads, considering <laughs> how much he screwed around all over the place. So Nikolai Malaksa, who had studied engineering in Yash and then Karlsruhe in Germany, joined the Romanian railways as a construction engineer, thanks to a friendship he had developed with the chairman Alexandru Cotescu. So basically, this is how he gets an in into the whole business. I mean, bros helping bros. Yeah, I mean, sure, networking, it's called. While there, he kept engaging in other private ventures, as you do. I mean. (laughs) And eventually got enough tosh to go into the rolling stock business. And this is where he got his big break, as he revitalized rail vehicles left into disrepair, which he sold back to the state at 10 times the investment. I mean, that's just smart business. Yeah, sure. By the end of the 1930s, the Malaksa factories were mass-producing steam locomotives, diesel locomotives, train sets, rolling stock, steel pipes, and were one of the biggest industrial groups in southeastern Europe, and the main provider of equipment for the Romanian railways. I mean, again, and I I feel like this is one of those moments where we do need to take a moment and acknowledge that the issue isn't that dude was doing industry. Like, that's not the problem. Definitely, the country needed a lot of, like, infrastructural investment. But, you know, the way it was being handled and where the money was coming from and the dealings and how interestingly enough there wasn't any kind of competition. I mean if you have friends in the right places, even if you're a private sector operator, you can basically be a monopoly. Which... No. no. Oh, excuse me. I'm just no. being a hater monopoly now. Monopoly is just a game. A fun <laughs> game. You know, and it's, it teaches everybody only good things. Yeah, I mean, it's the best way to be an entrepreneur nor to work exclusively with the state or, you know, mostly with the state. I mean, Lockheed Martin would disagree with you, (laughs) I feel. But not Elon Musk. No, no. So, through extensive gifts to friends of Madame Lupescu, who was the king's fancy lady, and King 
Carol himself, and uh, you know, this is the second Carol, not the one Gen- from the Strusberg yeah. affair. He succeeded in gaining access to his royal majesty, who subsequently became a partner uh, to his schemes and reaped a fortune of his own through Malaxa. No. Mm. Royalty doing bad things. Mm, it's as tale as all this time. Oh. <laughs> Strike lucrative deals with the states to then be hailed as a visionary entrepreneur. Whereas, you know, what's his face? One of the Hemsworth. Uh, Hemsworth says uh, the huntsman when you need them, you know. <laughs> that was a very random thing. I know. I just watched <laughs> I watched the second uh, huntsman movie a while ago. You know, I think maybe six years after it came out. So... Mm. I had, I'm not even a big fan of the Hemsworth. And never mind, I just, I, my brain just went sideways. It's fine, it's okay. Okay, let's get back to the king and his money and his fancy <laughs> ladies. Additionally, around 1939, Karol's son Michael was rumored to be in a relationship with Lulu Malaksa, Nikolai's daughter. And if that twist doesn't quite hit the right spot for you, there were rumors about Elena Lupescu cheating on the king with Malaksa's secretary, who would report back to the boss, of course. Are you slut-shaming right now? It's, it, I'm just saying that, you know, it's all about the family and emotional entanglements here in the Balkans. I mean, yes, also, the fact that she was called Lulu Malaksa, I feel like that's such such a typical name for that area, for that <laughs> area, is, for that very, very. <laughs> now, because as uh, we said, we are a Balkan nation at heart, uh, bribery has to be comically blatant. You cannot, you know, have that protestant lobbying stuff and make it look like it's part of the legal process. Like, no, no, that's not how we do it. Because apparently Malaksa and Auschnitt, who was another industrialist, and they were basically the two most powerful ones in the country, uh, would go for poker nights uh, at the king's mistress, only for Malaksa to complain at one point, listen, why doesn't the king just tell us how much so that we don't have to waste our nights in that smoky room? I mean, are we sure he wasn't a Protestant? Because he seems very, like, let's just get to the, you know... Maybe, like, an honorary one. Maybe at heart. Maybe at heart? Yes. Yes. But, um, alas, nothing is sacred to this dude, because as the winds of fascism and anti-Semitism swept through Europe, Malaksa saw an opportunity to throw his Jewish poker partner, Auschnitt, into jail and become the majority shareholder at the man's Reshitsa Iron and Steel Works factory. I'm shocked. I'm I'm just absolutely shocked. Mm. No honor among thieves. Exactly. <laughs> and and the, the fact that a powerful, you know, financial, whatever, industrial High pressure financial sorry, operator. Exactly. Yes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> somebody who is super powerful wanted to get even more power mm-hmm. and was willing to do, you know, immoral things and just shocked. Yes. And just shocked. It's It's... Especially for that time period. I mean, we all know that everything was like glorious and golden and society was perfect before, you know, all this woke shit came up, right? I mean, meritocracy just helped all the best rise to the top, Exactly, exactly. And it's, 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 you know, it's that and meritocracy and the whole trickle-down economics. We all know that all of those things work perfectly. Now, not wanting this to be a one-off Nazi oopsie, <laughs> Malaxa was then engaged in cementing personal relations with Albert. Göring, brother of Hermann Göring, to whom he offered partnership in the company, an offer which was accepted. Again, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> also, I feel like considering how many times now, like the Görings are coming up, can we just like start doing shots every time you bring up a Nazi? Be my guest. Why you don't have any alcohol in your house? Um, let me see. Can can we improvise anything? What do you want? Drink like straight up, you know, sanitary alcohol? What am I? Mix it with Coke, though. 
No, Diana, no, 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 no Walter White chemistry shooting. So I'm not good with cocktails? No, you're not. Any kind of cocks, you're not good with them. (laughs) Are you trying to ocean it me? (laughs) So at the same time, uh, Malaxa began giving out financial support to the Iron Guard, which was the Adibas of the Nazi party in Romania at the time. He probably deemed this a good way to bet on all horses because the situation was getting dicey as the dictator king had been pushed to the side by military coup. Uh, When in January 1941, the Iron Guard staged their own unsuccessful coup uh, against the military dictatorship led by Antonescu, it was largely financed and furnished with arms by Malaxa. He even let them turn one of his homes into an Iron Guard fortress, which had to be subjected to an artillery bombardment before the rebellion was crushed. So thing seems like it was written by some like never have touched it in my real life in cell wrote like a screenplay <laughs> in his basement for a particularly weird session of D&D. Yeah, I mean I'm afraid I'm not going to give you any reason to be happy because it just gets worse from here. I mean, life never gives me any reason to be happy anyway, so why should you? So after this whole uh, schmoozing up uh, to the Iron Guard and helping them out, Malaxa was arrested by uh, Ion Antonescu, kept in prison for a few days, then um, placed under house arrest for some months. Uh, His factories were confiscated, but then, through the magic of bribery, some of his factories were returned. I mean, it's it's just the fair thing to do. And then, uh, I hate to be repetitive, but there was another coup. <laughs> I mean... Third time's a charm. You get a coup, and you get a coup, and you get a coup. <laughs> Everybody gets a coup. Yeah, so on the 23rd of August, 1944, uh, the coup resulted in the effective occupation of the country by the Soviets, and Malaxa is known to have approached various American officials with offers of large sums for their intervention in unblocking his finances in the United States, and in interesting large American corporation in buying into his companies. So uh, you couldn't uh, say that the man wasn't forward-looking. I mean... Saw the writing on the wall. Uh, exactly. And also, I mean, if not the US, who else? I mean, it's not <laughs> It's not like the US necessarily had an issue, you know, with recruiting and collaborating with... Operation Paperclip. <coughs> uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> also, again, kind reminder, we do love the CIA very, very much. Please don't kill us. We stand you. <laughs> Malaxa turned uh, to the Romanian communists as well and uh, offered large sums to the party war chest and personnel, as well as bribes in the form of houses to the communist minister of communications, which was Gheorghiu Dej at the time, and Petru uh, Groza, subsequently uh, prime minister. These favors in turn allowed him to secure payment for properties taken over by the Russians, which is not how expropriations and nationalizations are supposed to work, but hey, Malaxa was that special guy, uh, one of the few who received a compensation for uh, property taken over by the USSR. I mean, at the same time, let's not forget that uh, Jamaica was still paying reparations to the UK up until, what, 2008? (laughs) For the UK abolishing slavery. If you can't... uh, the, you know, top yeah. of my tone of voice, I'm using major air quotes. Yeah, and it wasn't just Jamaica, right? I think uh, several several islands and yeah. island nations as well. I know I can't name any names from the top of my head, but uh, I mean, quite a few of the people in power up to many of the prime ministers that the UK had since then, up until 2008, were actually part of or descendant from those slaving families. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just interesting how the turntables don't turn. 
Yeah. Mm. And it, it's just the same DJ over and over again. Allegedly, Anna Pauker and Gheorghe Udej, you know, these were like... Icons. The, exactly. The, the, the influencers of the it, early Communist Party in Romania uh, said to their colleagues that Malas, Malaksa must be backed because he's ready to give the whole of Romania to the uh, Soviet Union as long as he can make a profit out of it. Again, just smart business. And uh, this might be a good time as any to talk a bit about why someone like Malaksa could find a way to work with just about any political group, even the one that claimed they were really out there to eat the rich. Maybe because, what was that expression? Uh, financial pressure? High, high pressure for High any... pressure financial operator. <laughs> also a political whore, which is definitely also def- something that we keep seeing today. It's, it's um, proud Balkan Are tradition. Are you slut-shaming now? I'm slut-shaming politically. I mean, screw around as much as you want, but just don't slut-shame politically. And no, don't slut around politically. Yeah, well, but what I like about this is uh, that he is one of those examples of how naive it is to assume that the whole of the Eastern Bloc was a sort of unitary bloc who was acting in unison according to what the big brother the USSR was saying. I mean, granted, that's what the Russians would have loved, but as we shall find out, uh, whenever the head honchos in each of the satellite states had the opportunity to, to sort of assert themselves and gain some sort of independence in the way they operated, they, they, they did. And if they had to, I don't know, collaborate with a former Nazi slash whatever. He was everything. He was a sleazebag. They, they would just do it, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's one of the... I have to say that one of those... It's one of the things that annoys me the most when I hear about the... Well, the entire Eastern Communist bloc was so, like, homogenous and whatever. No. no, every country had a very different kind of flavor of so-called socialism and communism. And I'm very much going for the air quotes again. And let's not forget how many of these communist regimes turned distinctly nationalistic the first opportunity they got. Yeah, and you can't be both communist and, like, ultra-nationalist. Yeah. Especially what we had here in Romania. That shit was... Stalinism with nationalism, basically. I mean, if, if Stalin was to have a baby with Hitler, it would have been <laughs> Romania's dictatorship, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And also, let's not forget that it was basically the case that I, I, I think for Romania and maybe for other Eastern European countries as well, that it's not that they didn't have any sort of leftist movements before the installment of the communist regimes after World War II, but basically the Moscow financed groups were there to shove everyone else aside. So any sort of local native movement was either undermined, infiltrated, or just political prisoners, if, no. if need be, you know, like, yeah, so bear that in mind. It wasn't just like a spontaneous popular uprising. I mean, it's not to say that some people were not aware of the injustices and they haven't heard about, like, Sure, but again, there's there's a caveat there. I mean, and at the end of the day, whether you have a royal dictatorship or a military dictatorship or a communist dictatorship, it's still a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, it's it. The only difference is is the small small group of people who benefit from it. Yeah. 
but it's still it's still the same math and it's not a math that maths for most people and just to get back to this whole idea of uh, the communist satellite states uh, striving to be as uh, independent as possible from moscow in a way ceausescu tried to make this uh, defiant stance his i don't know his trademark but actually in terms of what the romanian communist party was attempting to do this goes back way before he came to power to who allegedly, as far as I can understand, after the death of Stalin, when there was a bit of a reshuffling in terms of how the USSR also thought about how things are supposed to be going forwards and maybe less of the killy killing and maybe more of the living standards raised, at least for a few years. It's okay. They, they got over that idea pretty quickly. And uh, apparently uh, the communist Romanian communist operatics were summoned to Kre- the Kremlin and were told off because they'd done a bit of bit too much of the kili kili <laughs> and not enough of the you know uh, garnering popular support uh, which is you know it's another whole level to be at when coming from the russians you know you've done really time, bad <laughs> especially that you're yeah, like you know maybe calm your tits a bit about all the assassinations yeah, and the masculines and everything and it's you know when you know the moscow again especially during that period yeah. of time, not that now is a much yeah. more peaceful period <laughs> but uh, yeah it's it's definitely a level but yeah it, the good thing about this is that you know we don't we don't dwell on the past especially no. when we're teaching history in the school no. and we don't have to teach kids that you know we have so much shit in our life and and it's definitely not one of the reasons why we see again a rise uh here as well of like yes nationalism you know like take everything back to the country and throw all the foreigners out but also russia is good and ukraine sucks and it's all about the nato and whatever it's just i hate it is where i'm trying to get and it's it's also, again, oh, I hate how much that worked for Ceausescu, that image of like, he was called like the bad boy of communism in like Eastern Europe. The only good communist. Exactly, exactly. Sort of a James Dean mm. of the Eastern mm. Bloc. <laughs> Which is like, first of all, ew, no. Yes. And second of all, oh, and I, I don't get why that worked so well for so long with, with let's call them the Western states, like the mm. Western Bloc of Ceausescu being like the bad boy and like such a rebel and he's actually doing good things when it was so clear that he just like you know the things you saw about hitler in like the 30s that yes i mean he fixed the country's economy and his building roads and whatever and like sure he has some weird idealism stuff going on but he's like the economy the economy you know the trains are running on time exactly exactly and and you see the exact same thing even so much closer in time to world war ii basically with joshua it's the same thing okay it was wasn't as bad in the first few years as it got later on but it was still terrible i mean you were still fully in confiscating shit from people killing farmers you know just everyday people getting fucked over every which way possible for all those edgelords who find themselves typing in various comment sections things like Oh, sorry they took your palace to feed the starving masses. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but the unpopularity of these actions did not come out of a misplaced sympathy for the obscenely rich. The Romanian communists were particularly brutal in their collectivization efforts, lumping medium and small-time farmers in with those who own massive estates. 
eager to basically all but eliminate any private property. Add to this the fact that the country had been rocked by a major peasant unrest in 1907 and that agricultural workers had been struggling for generations to own enough land so as to not merely engage in subsistence farming, you can guess why they were not exactly won over by the idea of having it taken away. Back to the show. And judging by the stuff that you could have uh, achieved, uh, at least before the oil crisis, which, let's be honest, was a major turning point yeah. for uh, many of these regimes, not just for uh, the, the Western world, but also in the Eastern Bloc, they still uh, were investing very little in raising living standards, which is insane if you think that for that first generation that lived through the regime, they were kind of, most of them, of course, the ones who did not get their stuff taken, um, they were really uh, lifted up from like mud huts, many of them, to actually, you know, having a home with electricity, running water, access to education. So, but still, they could have done so much more. And they decided a lot earlier on than people felt the impact of those decisions that they're going to divert resources towards these dreams of becoming a sort of lender nation to world world uh, states and you know all sorts of uh, mega projects and stuff like that the hubris it's all it always comes back to the hubris of people who don't know enough about enough or maybe who do know enough about enough it's just that they don't really give a shit mm-hmm. <sighs> more more existential ennui <laughs> intensifies <laughs> So, back to Malaksa, who, after clawing back as much of his fortune as he could following the regime change, arrived in the U.S. in October 1946, aided by top government officials. Among them, a young senator from California by the name of Richard Nixon. Never heard of him. Never, never. It's not like he got anywhere in life. Yeah, just a small-time pencil pusher, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Now, of course, Nixon had not helped out Malaksa out of the kindness of his heart. No. Although I'm sure he was a very gentle soul. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's the first thing that everybody thinks of when they think of Nixon, his gentle, gentle heart. Yes, and his ravishing smile. <laughs> <laughs> So he didn't help Malax out of the kindness of his heart, especially since it was risky, given his political ambitions. But, uh, you know, maybe lending a hand to a Nazi and comic collaborator might be business as usual for political operatives, but it's uh, not great for PR. <laughs> but maybe it just cancels each other, it cancels it, itself out, you know? Yeah, like maybe. If you're a comic operator, but then you were also, you know, a Nazi operator, it's just, you know, yin and yang, like just... Yeah. And then you're just clean, no? Maybe that was his thought process, actually. Exactly. Especially because he has money. So he's definitely a good person. I'm a victim of circumstances. Didn't Calvin say so, say as much? If you have money, then... God loves you. Yes. Definitely. Just, definitely. Just how it is. Uh, so now the plot thickens even more because Alan Dulles, the head of the CIA during the early Cold War, was deeply involved with Malaksa. And not in the sexy way of... Oh. He had acted as the Romanian's lawyer and liaison with Nixon. The Malaksa money trail. This is a bit difficult to say, the Malaksa money trail. The Malaksa money trail uh, touched not only Nixon's bank account, but also Dulles's law firm, uh, CIA front organizations like the National Committee for a Free Europe, and even some of the agency's secret combat groups. Again, allow me to take this moment to say that we love the CIA very, very much, and please don't kill us. <laughs> Are you going to do this every time I mention the CIA? Yes, I would like to live some more. 
Now, you might recall Max Auschnitt, the guy who was there for the poker nights, but was then thrown under the bus. Are you trying to Auschnitt me? <laughs> well, he was also in the US at this time and got hold of a copy of a $100,000 check from Malaksa deposited in Nixon's bank account for services rendered. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was it was something like completely innocuous, like probably Nixon was like a really good cook and he was like, you Cleaning know, services. I, laundering services. Laundering service. I feel like that's too much on the nose, you know. But who knows? Yeah. See what I did there. So it was this this excessive friendliness of Malaxas. It was a bit of an optics mess. You're, you're friend shaming now. <laughs> But at the end of the day, money talks, and in return for financing, Dallas's anti-communist network, which stretched from Buenos Aires to Bucharest, the CIA, whom we love, oh, very much, yes, helped Malaxa stay in the States. While in the US, Malaxa was in close contact with members of the Romanian legation in Washington, and by close contact, what I mean is he had a slush fund through which he paid bribes to these guys, so that if it just so happened that some one who'd be foolish enough to refuse to cooperate with him in his dealings um, in the United States, Malaksa would report them to the Romanian legation as American spies. I mean, <laughs> why do you have to interpret everything so negatively? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he just gave some walking around money to them, you know. They're in the U.S. They should be able to go down and get, like, a milkshake and I don't know what else was interesting. Very then. generous and giving guy. Yes, yes. He's, he's just, a, you know, a patriot at heart. He's just trickling down that wealth. Exactly. On, on, <laughs> on the most deserving of people. Yes, and, you know, because you said I was too negative. While we talk about all this corruption and uh, we've sometimes forget that life is made up of small gestures and little moments that bring people together. Is this the part when Malaksa and Nixon kiss? I guess our man was still very sentimental at heart because uh, probably that's why he, you know, being trapped essentially in the decadent West, uh, oh, he, he thought it might be a good idea to purchase Cartier watches and jewels and send over to his lovely communist friend, Anna Pauker, just across the Iron Curtain, a gentleman to the very end. I mean, you know, what can I say? At least it was Cartier watches I, I don't know I don't know what that means because Cartier also has a very shitty history but I mean maybe he had a little bit of taste desperately trying to find like a positive spin on this obviously <laughs> there is none <laughs> Yeah, well, what else do we know about the gentlemen other than the fact that they gift expensive Western decadent watches to communist uh, officials? That they are men who are gentle? <laughs> that they don't pay taxes? Oh, I mean, of course. <laughs> that I, I thought that was just like, you know, a part of like the basic package. Yeah, I mean, it would be so unbecoming and uncouth no, of them. It's, do, it's just I mean, very déclassé to pay taxes. Yeah. So, um, Malaxa announced the construction of Western Tube Corporation, a pipeline factory in Whittier, California. Nixon wrote a letter to the Defense Production Administration calling the Romanian's project strategically and economically important for both California and the entire United States. My man Malaxa was definitely laying pipe all over the place. <laughs> Uh, the factory was never built, but the scheme resulted in a big tax windfall for Malaxa. Again, you can, you know, just build uh, and lay, you know, existential pipelines, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The pipeline from the U.S. defense blank check 
division to his pockets. Yeah. That is a pipeline. Yes. So you're basically just, you know, slandering him right now. Invest in infrastructure exactly. is what you're saying. It's all about job creation and infrastructure. By the end of 1953, Malaksa was finally close to his goal of permanently staying in the U.S. Records of his checks sent to Nixon were flushed and he became vice president following Eisenhower's victory. Nixon, that is, not Malaksa, but, you know, I, mean. <laughs> I guess if he had a bit more ambition. Who knows? Uh, officials in the Justice Department bypassed Congress and granted Malaksa permanent residence, arguing that their decision came as a result of the unique technical services provided by the non-existent Western Tube Corporation in the U.S. industry. It had unique contributions by its non-existence. Malaksa eventually died in 1965, 80 years of age, having basically won at life, I guess, at this point, because he used all the cheat codes, never got as much as a slap on his wrist. I mean, he did have to go to those smoky snow, smoky poker nights oh, yes. and that was it, just so painful. Poor yeah, him. But some prayers. just havoc on his lungs. Inhuman. Inhuman. Yes. I'm, I'm guessing he also had to put up with ju- just the worst jokes from the king and I mean, it's, possibly it's, some seductive glances from the mistress. Or... It's, it's just such a difficult life. I mean, poor, <sighs> poor, poor man. Poor man. Sacrificing. He definitely... For def- king and country. Exactly. He definitely deserves like a tearjerker movie on Lifetime or, or Hallmark. I would definitely, though, I would be super curious to see how they approach the story of like <laughs> the Nazi collaborator. They, they'll find a way. I mean, make it heartwarming. Then maybe this is our moment to shout out officially in the Hallmark channel and Lifetime about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> show me, show me you got the goods. Show me you can make like a rom-com from anything. Yeah. Yet another thing we know about gentlemen is that they keep winning through their offspring as well. Because as you said... It's all about generational wealth. Yes. After 1989, what did the offspring do? No, they came back asking for daddy stuff because boo-hoo-hoo, the commies took them and we worked so hard for them. I mean, daddy did. I mean, daddy, just daddy and Mm. granddaddy, grandpappy. Mm. And he, they came back to ask for shit and they got so much shit back. Like, so much. So much. What was it? Wait, you have the numbers here. Yeah, so in 2005, they got paid out reparations worth some 309 million euros. And in today's money, that's about 445 million euros. I mean, just small change. It's not like we, you know, could have built hospitals from that and yeah. stuff like that. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying that the state is not responsible for paying back shit that the state stole from everyday people, but these aren't everyday people and they got their finances under weird circumstances. And also, if Grandpappy was a Nazi collaborator and a comic collaborator, I think that kind of should cancel out shit like this. Because he definitely wasn't a victim. The the thing is that going by that principle that, you know, whatever you gain through collaborating or being a na- Nazi, it would probably mean a very, very heavy and thorough reshuffling of the whole European business landscape. Because it was You say just... that like it's a bad thing. No, no, no. I'm just saying that obviously there's going to be a lot of resistance towards it because then it's not just, you know, like some rando in Romania who would have to, you know, it, it's basically the whole of European business because how many companies just when they talk about their history just sort of forget what happened in the 30s and 40s? They somehow well, you, don't mention it in the company history? You just have to focus on the future and growth and job creation. Let's not forget about yes, job creation. Yes, definitely. And especially if you think about it, they were definitely all about job creation of 30s and, and 40s as well. Vision I mean, of the future. Exactly. Growing, 
reaching our potential. Yes, yes, discovering new things. Investing in people when we don't throw them into ovens, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's just, we're being very unfair right now. Yes. And also, I would like to take this moment again to say that we love the CIA very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last, the, the, your, the last love letter to the CIA from Elisa. The, why are you saying it? Like, that sounds so ominous. Like, I'm going to be found <laughs> drowning my bathtub no, I'm just, tomorrow morning. I'm just saying it's the last because we are closing off the episode unless you have something to add, you know, just, either for the CIA or anyone else. I mean, oh, CIA, oh, CIA, why art thou CIA? I don't know, I'm just... <laughs> please don't kill me. Um, yeah, I guess. It, I think we can also summarize at this point that we're definitely never getting visas to visit the US. Do we know where Malaxa lived on Broadway? I would be curious about that. At the exact address? Yeah, or just, you know, a more specific area, because Broadway oh. is a long fucking street. I think there was uh, some information, but I didn't write it down. Hmm. If you ever come across it again or whatever, let me know. I'm super curious. Okay. You want to Google Earth it? I don't just Google Earth it. I would be curious to see if it's maybe a building that still exists, because quite a lot of them are still around. You know what would have been great if his uh, address way back when would be the same as Jeffrey Epstein's? I mean, obviously that wouldn't be surprising at all. I feel like the the ju- the bad juju did stick around, but mm-hmm. I I would be definitely curious about that because I'm betting it's some lavish freaking place. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, what else can we say? It's uh, trickle down economics is great. Uh, really the like industrialists it. were just fabulous inventors and really hardworking people who just did all good things. And I'm still not sure if we have an equivalent in Romanian for the term robber baron. No, I don't think we have. But I mean, that would also imply that this as a subject has been discussed a lot and we it hasn't been. Again, the, the exact same thing that we said in the beginning and throughout the episode. Uh, these people aren't discussed in any kind of negative terms. No, 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 no. In no. in our you know home landscape, it's just if if they come up, then it's all about oh oh poor industrialists they got you know uh, nationalized and all of their stuff got taken away and they worked so hard for it. And again, I'm not saying that if bad things happened, that's okay. But you know, let's chill a little bit and let's look closer to who did what because he definitely profited of both the you know anti-semitism and the nazi regime and also of the communist party you know not not to be hyperbolic uh, obviously there's there's some good work there, there are some good books who are taking a more critical view of the period as well but generally speaking in terms of who is considered mainstream and you know the guys writing bestsellers and everything else they have a serious hard-on for royalty and for industrialists and everything that has to do with that strata of the society. Yes, because I think they all believe that had they been living during that period, yeah, they would have been be, part of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. They're, and let's be honest. Delusional they, peasants. They wouldn't have been. <laughs> no. That they wouldn't have been. Come on. So, yeah, I guess... Uh, I don't know. I think those are our main thoughts. Also, the fact that nobody called Nikolai is a good person. Definitely. So, if you are dating a Nikolai, dump them. Uh, <laughs> if you are named Nikolai, change your name. Um, yeah, and uh, I guess, again, we love the CIA very, very much. Please, please just don't kill us. Come on, help me out with this. Uh, like, share, subscribe for more, I don't know, advice on how to love the CIA as much as possible. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> no, yo, no, yeah, definitely. And tell your friends about it. And uh, tell your friends how, how many things they can learn about stuff. Listening and to us. Exactly. Being and awkward at the end of exactly. each episode. 
But one thing that will never be awkward in is, you know what it is? What? Our love of the CIA. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. I love the CIA. <laughs>